Freddie opened my first Christmas present. Uh, Craig Matheny called last week. Many of you remember Craig. And uh, he wanted me to come for a visit. When I got there, a relative was wrapping Christmas presents on a dining room table. And I just happened to notice there was a present with my name on it on the coffee table. And uh, so, of course, I asked Craig if I had to wait until Christmas to open it. And he said, no, if you want to see what it is, it's hanging from the ceiling in my office. So you can check that out. But Christmas is coming. In fact, there are 45 shopping days until it gets here. So how does that make you feel? You know, does the nearness of Christmas fill you with anxiety and make you worried about how you're going to be able to afford all the presents you'll need to buy, let alone find them? Or are you like most kids, just anxious for it to get here? You know, both are a form of anxiety, but one of them is not good. It's not good to worry about tomorrow and how you're going to afford what you think you'll need. But anxiously waiting for something good to happen can be a very positive thing. Last week we focused on the negative aspect of anxiety. When Jesus said to his disciples, I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. But seek for His kingdom. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And as we noted last week, being anxious about food and clothing is actually a form of greed. What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Where am I going to get the money to buy what I'll need for Christmas this year? Getting excited about the coming of Christmas and anxiously awaiting its arrival, however, is a good thing. There are some things we should be anxiously anticipating. And Jesus goes on to make it very clear that we should be anxiously waiting for the Master to return. We pick up our study in Luke chapter 12, ready for verses 35 and 36. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps alight. And be like men who are waiting for their Master when He returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to Him when He comes and knocks. Jesus had just said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If our treasure is in heaven, we will be thinking about heaven. It will be on our minds. It will be in our hearts. And we will be anxiously awaiting the day when the fullness of that treasure will be ours. To enjoy. You know, we are now like heirs on an allowance. We're provided for abundantly. But someday, 
riches beyond our wildest dreams will actually be ours. Life for us should therefore be lived in a constant state of expectation, consciously waiting for something great to happen. Something far greater, I might add, than winning millions in the lottery. Now, Luke has placed these words of Jesus before any specific teaching on the second coming in his gospel. And that has led some to suggest that he got it out of order. And we do find similar teaching in the parable of the ten virgins waiting for the coming of the bridegroom in Matthew's gospel right after some very explicit teaching on the second coming. But Luke is a very careful historian. And he has told us that he is presenting things in consecutive order. So it appears that Jesus talked about being ready and keeping lamps lit in anticipation of the arrival of the bridegroom or a master on more than one occasion. What he's apparently doing here is laying a foundation of general readiness in the kingdom of God. He wanted everyone in the kingdom, even those who lived before his ascension into heaven, to live in a state of readiness. All are to keep their minds on heaven, expecting God to act at any moment. Now for us, living on this side of the cross, the primary application of this teaching does have to do with the Lord's return. That's the primary event we are waiting for. And to us, Jesus says, be dressed in readiness. Literally, it says, Let your loins be girded. He was telling those who wore long robes to pull them up between their legs and tuck them into their belts and be ready for service, ready for action, ready for whatever the master wants them to do. And we should indeed be ready to serve him at all times. Then he added, keep your lamps a light. He wanted them to make sure their lamps were full of oil and wicks trimmed in case the master returned at night. He might say to us, make sure your batteries are charged and your lights on. And of course, if we will keep our lamps alight, we'll not be sitting in the dark just waiting for the master's return. We will be letting our lights Shine, we will be the light of the world, which Jesus told us to be in his absence. Jesus is telling us to be ready at all times and to make sure our light doesn't go out. That way we and those around us won't be in the dark when he returns. He then tells us to be like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding feast, who's left for his bachelor's party, and who will be picking up his bride at her parents' home and bringing her to his home for the wedding night. It's an exciting time for the bridegroom's household. Much has been done to make everything ready. The servants are excitedly awaiting their arrival, but they don't know exactly exactly 
when they'll arrive. You know, parties can take longer than expected, and farewells at a father's house can get lengthy. I know, because I remember our wedding day. I had looked all over St. Louis for a honeymoon suite like the one in the Poconos that Marilyn had seen in the magazines. And while I didn't find a heart-shaped tub, I was excited with the room I'd found. I wanted everything to be perfect when we arrived. Now, the wedding was in Springfield. The reception took longer than expected. And after we'd said our goodbyes and loaded up the U-Haul and driven to St. Louis, it was 1 o'clock in the morning. When we arrived at the hotel, we were greeted by a weary-eyed clerk who handed us our keys. It wasn't exactly the reception I'd envisioned. Obviously, we don't want the bridegroom to be disappointed by the way we welcome him. And he won't be if we're dressed in readiness, lamps alight, and anxiously waiting at the door when he knocks. And that means we must be constantly on the alert. Blessed are those slaves whom the master shall find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. If we're ready, when Jesus returns, we will be blessed. And we will be blessed far beyond anything we might expect. You know, the servants were looking forward to serving their master. But what happened when he arrived? Did you catch that? He served them. In their wildest dreams, they had never anticipated anything like that. The servants were ready and excited about serving their master, but when he arrived and found they were ready to serve him, he took off his banquet clothes, wrapped a towel around his waist, had them seated, and served them. That's the picture Jesus paints of the unexpected blessing that servants who remain on the alert will receive when he returns. But in order to receive it, they must remain on the alert at all times, no matter how late it might be. In Jesus' day, the night was divided into four watches, 6 to 9, 9 to 12, 12 to 3, and 3 to 6. The servants wouldn't have expected their master to return from a banquet during the dinner hour. So Jesus doesn't even mention the first watch. They probably would have anticipated his arrival during the second watch. But then again, he might not come when expected. He might not get there until the third watch, the 12 to 3 shift, the most difficult time of the night to keep awake, which I might add is when Levi Michael decided to come on Friday morning, but I digress. Jesus doesn't mention, doesn't even mention the fourth watch. Because if the master hadn't arrived by 3 a.m., the servants would have probably concluded he wasn't coming back until morning. 
and gone to bed. That, of course, doesn't mean Jesus won't come during the fourth watch. In fact, when he does come, it will be the fourth watch somewhere in the world. Right, Jonathan? I figured that out. He can come at any moment. We must therefore always be ready, even while sleeping. And the traditional child's bedtime prayer is not a bad reminder of that fact. I don't know if kids are still using this prayer or not, but now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I prayed it. We can be thankful that even in sleep, we have a Savior who keeps watch for us. But we must make certain that we are ready for Christ's return before He comes. Even if He comes when we least expect it. And be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Contrary to what some are saying about 2012, we don't know when the world is going to end. The Mayans may have had a good calendar, but they did not know Jesus. And they certainly didn't know when he was coming back. No one knows when the world is going to end. And Jesus is going to return. Those will be simultaneous events. In fact, he told his disciples that even he didn't know when he's going to return. Only the Father knows. We don't know when he's coming back. And he wants it that way. He wants us ready at all times. Doing what he wants all the time. He doesn't want any last minute preparations. Then what would you do? If you knew he was coming back at 4 p.m. tomorrow. Hopefully, what you've already planned to do. I like the monk's response. When asked what he would do if he knew Jesus was going to return that day, he said, keep on hoeing. I like that. That's the way we're supposed to live. Serving Jesus, expecting him to return at any moment. On the alert. And ready. Jesus' reference to a thief breaking in may have been prompted by something that had recently happened. He doesn't preface the statement with any parabolic terminology that would make us think this is an illustration or a parable. He may have been calling their attention to something that the people were already talking about, adding that the thief wouldn't have succeeded if the head of the house had made adequate preparations beforehand. 
If he had anticipated an attempted break-in, he would have put bars on his windows and bolted the door. He would have been ready. When the Apostle Paul said that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, he, was, <coughs> excuse me, he wasn't suggesting that Jesus will sneak in under cover of darkness. When he returns, the trumpet will sound, the sky will open, and every eye will, be seen, will see him. Paul is saying the same thing, Jesus says here, that he will come at an hour we do not expect. So we better be ready. If you hear glass breaking from your bedroom, it's too late. The thief is already in the house. And for many, the sound of the trumpet will mean it's too late. He's here. And they aren't ready. Jesus doesn't want his coming to catch us off guard. He came 2,000 years ago, disguised as a man, to get us ready for his coming as conquering king. Now, some find that hard to believe. And as we read last Sunday night from mere Christianity, they object by asking, why is God landing in this enemy-occupied world in disguise and starting a sort of secret society to undermine the devil? Why is he not landing in force, invading it? Is it that he is not strong enough? Well, Christians think he is going to land in force. We do not know when. But we can guess why he is delaying. He wants to give us the chance of joining his side freely. I do not suppose you and I would have thought much of a Frenchman who waited until the Allies were marching into Germany and then announced he was on our side. God will invade. But I wonder whether people who ask God to interfere openly and directly in our world quite realize what it will be like when he does. When that happens, it's the end of the world. When the author walks on the stage, the play is over. God is going to invade, all right. But what is the good of saying you were on his side then when you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream and something else, something that never entered your mind to conceive, comes crashing in, something so beautiful to some of us and so terrible to others that none of us will have any choice left. For this time, it will be God without disguise. Something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It will be too late then to choose your side. There is no use saying you choose to lie down when it has become impossible to stand up. That will not be the time for choosing. It'll be the time when we discover which side we really have chosen, whether we realize it before 
or not. Now, today, this moment is our chance to choose the right side. God is holding back to give us that chance. It will not last forever. We must take it or leave it. Those are the words of C.S. Lewis. And I say amen to that. Amen to that. Now is the time to trust Him and obey Him. Come.